Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to this week's episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Now this week we sat down with NRCHA and NCHA horseman Alex Alves. Throughout this episode we discussed his foundation and start with horses and spent the lion's share of the conversation talking about his early years in emergency services and how that affected his life. Now in our discussion I began to reflect a lot on my early years in EMS and some of the stress, pressure, and scars that that left on me. That was an extremely rewarding career, but in talking with Alex I got to work through some things myself and reflect. For those of you that work in emergency services, law enforcement, and military, I think there's a lot of great takeaways in this episode. Again, I want to thank everybody for your participation on social media. You can find us at Let Freedom Reign Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. And as always, be sure to share this show with a friend. Without further delay, let's get right into it. Here is Alex Alves. Alex, good morning. How are you? Doing excellent. How about yourself? Doing very, very well. Thank you for taking this phone call at such an early hour. I know you're out on the road. <laughs> yeah. Just starting show season, it sounds like. What do you got going on? Uh, yeah, this is uh, the second one of the year. Uh, just a weekend cow horse show before uh, Big Derby here. I've got three uh, out this weekend. Um, we ended up practicing until pretty late last night. So showing this morning and then uh, tomorrow as well. I'll say a quick turnaround for everybody, huh? Yeah, it's pretty normal. And I think I'm showing every weekend or even week from now until uh, beginning of June at some point, I think. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's real busy. Yeah, we tend to keep a little busier than most do, but we wouldn't have it any other way. I was going to say, opportunity creates itself, right? Yeah, exactly. And we've had a lot of people, they kind of look a little sideways at us when we show up with as many horses as we do to some shows and end up with as many we do, as we do in our barn. So Good stuff. Explain, and we'll go into more detail, but explain a little bit about your program and what you got going on. Uh, so I'm an NRCHA and NCHA professional. So for anybody who doesn't know the terms, uh, NRCHA is National Ring Cow Horse Association. Uh, and then the NCHA is the National Cutting Horse Association. Um, and I focus mainly to the limited-aged event uh, horses. So the two-, three-, and four-year-olds and a few five-year-olds as well uh, is kind of where my main focus is to. Uh, and I've always had a really strong passion for doing these young horses uh, as opposed to some trainers who really like the older horses or maintaining um, a bridle horse or something like that. I, I like to be able to find, I find that for myself, I do a lot better as a trainer. Um, if I am con- consistently and constantly teaching something to my horses, as opposed to just trying to maintain them at a level. Yeah. And that's a great part about horse sports, right? Is that there's just, there's so much to it and to each their own. And, you know, once everybody finds their niche, you know, you really develop that expertise and that, that true professional standard and and develop horses on that level. Exactly. And, you know, and like one of my mentors, uh, he's very much a bridle horse guy in the cow horse. He does not do futurity horses so well. Um, and it's something that he always struggled with. Um, 
he was when he was younger he did really well with the reigning horses um in the futurities and such but as he he said as he got older he wanted to kind of slow down a little bit and the the young horses are for the young trainers he said exactly as you get older you want to spend a little bit more time in the saddle than on the dirt yeah, well, I try not to spend too much time in the dirt, actually. I think it's uh, been a little while since I've been bucked off, luckily enough. Yeah, that's good stuff. I love it. Yeah. So let's get into a little bit about your history and who you are, kind of your start with horses, and we'll we'll work the progression through becoming a professional horseman. Yeah, you betcha. Um, so for me, I was actually born and raised around the horses. Um, uh, my mom was a... Uh, a racetrack trainer. Uh, well, she, she started as a jockey, uh, when I was, before I was born. And then, uh, when she was pregnant with me, she obviously had to quit that. So she actually moved up through the ranks, um, and ended up becoming a barn trainer and a barn manager, uh, before I was born. So growing up on the racetrack is where I was. It's kind of funny to end up, start out in the racetrack and end up in the cow horse world. Yeah, I was going to say varying Varying ends of the spectrum, it's pretty interesting, though. We have uh, racehorses in our family as well. My great-grandfather owned a bunch of them, and I actually have a few of the, the pictures of his more successful horses hanging on the wall right now. Oh, yeah, and you know what? I have I love the racetrack horses. I think it's, that it's such a, an exciting and exhilarating thing to watch and still be a part of, and I still try to get down to the racetracks uh, whenever I can for the big ones and such, but it's getting harder and harder as I get busier and busier. The racing alike, right? Even with all the the, even with all the timed events, right? In these performance uh, disciplines, oh, yeah. I mean, you look at you look at the racehorses hanging on my wall, right? From the '30s and '40s and '50s, compared to the racehorses now, I mean, they're just beasts oh. and just complete athletes, and uh, it's far different from what they were racing back when my family was involved in it. Oh yeah, and you know, it's there's just a different kind of power associated yeah. with a racehorse than there is with like, say one of my cutting horses. Yeah. It's just a totally different power, totally different strength. And when you watch a horse coming down through your home turns and such, or through the short dashes, that is wild to watch these horses. I tell people, if you ever get the opportunity to go to a race, whether a fan or not, and you can get track side when these, when these horses are coming down a straightaway, I oh, mean, yeah, the hoof strike of all those horses hitting the hitting the track at the same time is just extremely it, powerful experience. Well, when you can feel the ground shake, you start yeah. to get a little nervous yourself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. So how do we work through this progression of growing up in a family so involved in racing horses and now you moving on to the performance horse world and, and a lot more of this cow horse work? Um, so really, with that, it was such a long process. Um, I grew up on the racetrack, uh, and then I ended up actually showing 100 jumpers uh, when I was a kid and all the way through to my teens, um, and I really liked it. I enjoyed riding the 100 jumpers. I I didn't like the timed portion of the show jumping. I found that to be taking away from the horse too much. Um, it was more of a rush through the course, so I really liked showing the hunter jumpers, a lot of the English and Western pleasure horses, um, and then the horsemanship classes as well, all the way through my young teens, because um, I always wanted to make myself better, and how can I be a better rider, and how can my horses be better, as opposed to rushing through a course. Um, and it, it was something that I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed doing that as a young teen. 
success and hard work and a lot of this stuff is all relative. You know, when you make mention, you wanted to be better. Can you kind of develop and build on what is what was better for you as far as working with the horses or your personal goals? Uh, you know, I found more often than not, um, I and this isn't to kind of toot my own horn or anything like that. I always had kind of a talent for being on a horse. It, I, everybody around me always said, you know, if you don't end up on a horse for a living, there's something wrong with you because you can ride like there's no tomorrow. Um, but it was for me, it always kind of brought me to a new, new emotional level between the horse and the rider. Um, and that was always such a big thing for me because if I couldn't get the horse to control its emotions and myself to control its emotions, then I found that we weren't getting better. And for me, that was such a huge thing. I would say that's incredible to experience at kind of a younger age, right? Usually yeah. that feeling comes with maturity and experience. Yeah, and you know, it's funny. Most guys don't usually end up realizing that until they're 30. Right? Or, they're, um, or they're done riding horses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they end up in their teens and they yeah. get out of it, right? Yeah, exactly. But for me, it was all about getting a better connection emotionally through my horses. Um, and I just found it created a better human being out of myself as well. And how, um, how did you work through that progression? Like, do you think this stuff was just kind of naturally in you, this interest for this, this connection was. or was there an experience that drove it? No, it was always that way through, through me being a kid. Um, as I got older, I started to realize it a little bit more and more and more yet um, through certain specific things and whatnot. But this way here, it just, it's just the way it was kind of bred into me, I guess. Yeah. 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 That's and incredible. being that way. Yeah. And, and being like the son of a trainer and whatnot, you really start to see that at an early age as well. Right. And that's the so, tough part, I think, with, with developing quote unquote training skills is the exposure to the horses, right? You yeah. I have exposure to a lot of horses and, and for some people, it's difficult to do, whether it's, you know, budget or whatever life constraints place on it. So for you to be able oh, to witness yeah. that as a young kid and then obviously have kind of that, I guess I'll use the word innate skill or innate ability. Um, yep. Quite the blessing. Well, I was really, really blessed to grow up in the lifestyle that I did because um, there's not a lot of people who do get that opportunity and that chance. And it's it is difficult to grow up in that lifestyle, I'll admit it firsthand. It's hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I, it was a blessing bar none. Yeah, yeah. So much of life is that though, right? You go through a certain set of circumstances and, you know, I look back on my life and we weren't loaded. We didn't have tons of money. Um, yeah. But my parents never let me feel that, you know? Yeah. And it's not until you look back on life and you really understand how hard your folks worked to give you the opportunity that they gave you, you know? I mean, there's huge sacrifice made that I never even knew about, you know, just being a little kid growing up. I just figured it was normal. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny. As a kid, you don't realize it. Like, I, I knew we were pretty broke when I was a kid, but I didn't really understand it until I started doing it on my yeah. own. Yeah, it's you. You don't ever become rich working with horses. No. You uh, you kind of break even, and that's about it. Yeah, but it's a testament to the value of life, right? I mean, you could have millions and millions of dollars and never be happy. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. I don't know. For me and my personal experience, and I think this is common amongst our listeners and, and the lion's share of our guests, you know, these these horses fill an incredible void in our life, and it's uh, they provide a value that, that doesn't carry any monetary number or value or, or benefit, you know, because like you said, this is definitely not uh, the rich man's game, per se. Well, yeah, we're... It's kind of funny. Everybody looks at the trainers kind of pulling in to the shows and stuff like that, or some of the non-pros who are really well off, and they go, oh, wow, look at that truck and trailer and such. And for me, it was never about the truck and trailer. It was always about what you unloaded from the yes, truck and trailer. Yes, yes, No, that is true. Very, very yeah. true. So, yeah. Very true. And then, from I guess from that point on, after my teens, I, got, I kind of left the, the show world. Um, I got tired of the politics, honestly, um, and it was, I think that was really hard for me to deal with the people, because um, I've never been a really big people person. I've always been the kid that I wouldn't spend it, like if, in school and stuff, I wouldn't go out to birthday parties when I was a kid or anything like that. I didn't want to. I'd rather be at home in the barn. Yeah. yeah. So I, when I was a teen, I left the left the show world. Um, just because of politics specifically, and I ended up roping, uh, roping calves and team roping quite a bit, because um, it was a little bit more friendly, I guess you could say, to be around the social crowd there, mm-hmm. um, which was really good for me because it really brought me out of my shell, um, excuse me, and made me be a little bit more social with people. And it kind of gave me the skills that I have with my, my people skills that I have nowadays. Um, but I still didn't get away from the horse, the horsemanship portion of it. I still, I still uh, actually trained a lot of polo horses um, while I was in school just to have a job yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and I still rode quite a few track horses at that time too. It was, it was kind of funny. I ended up on a different racetrack than where I was uh, raised on uh, and training there their young horses, their two-year-olds on the track for them. So, I was say, you got quite the experience. I mean, a, a huge variety of disciplines and breeds at such an early age. I mean, obviously, that's now playing a huge role in, in the program you run today. Oh, absolutely. And it, it really shaped me and made me a, like a, a very good horseman in the fact that I'm not – it's not a difficult thing for me to go from getting on one of my cutting, cutting horses or my cow horses who are 14 two to yeah. getting on a thoroughbred who's 16 two. Yeah. Right. And then realizing that there's a difference between the physicality of the two of them. Right. And that's the thing, right? You're, huge yeah. passion. You're gonna, I still have a huge passion for my cutters and cow horses, but I will get on those thoroughbreds without an issue. That's incredible. I mean, even if, even if it's a, kind of the same physical application of methods, I mean, the places you got to hit on that horse to cue them up and, and just the physical nature of, of those two different animals is a completely different ride. Oh, yeah. And trying to stay on the two, the difference in the lope stride is even the trot stride yeah. or hell, even the walk stride can Everything. be impossible to gauge sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So then you make the big jump into cow horses and yeah. it was about your mid, mid-20s or so. Um, what, yeah, I What drove that you. change? Um, You know, I... I ended up in a bit of a wreck when I was younger. Uh, I was bulldogging actually, and I think I was 16. Um, and I went to jump off my horse, and I ended up having a foot hang up in the stirrup on me. Oh no! Um, so what happened was one foot hit the ground, 
and it hit a rut as it did, and it broke my kneecap straight down the middle. Oh. Um, so, but as my foot hit the ground, the other foot came out of the stirrup, and I lifted my broken, the one that I just broke because of the pain, and then my other foot fell and hit the ground, and then it broke that kneecap on me. So I... I ended up in quite the wreck there. I ended up getting some pretty good damage to it um, and whatnot. So when I – and I was still roping calves and everything, and I was able to get through it and work through that, but my knees were never quite as strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit before that, I was riding some bronc horses, ended up coming off pretty hard. I ended up uh, breaking my – well, pretty well destroying my entire right shoulder. Um, really rough there too. And I still have problems with both my knees and my shoulders. Um, so roping calves for me, I was roping down in high river one day in for the Canadian tie down championships actually. And I stepped off my horse and my knees buckled on me. Um, and at that point in time, it was an instant pain. And then I started to realize that I'm not going to be able to keep up like I used to anymore. Yeah, I was going to say we all leave this career with dents and dings, but that's not a very good start when you're blowing out both knees and you got a shoulder that's quitting on you. Yeah, and <laughs> so it was a, it was pretty rough. So and I hate I didn't really like team roping as much um, because I didn't like relying on somebody else per se. Mm-hmm. Not that you had to, but I didn't like that part so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just quit roping. I didn't go to any more rodeos. I didn't go to any more big jackpots or anything like that. And I had always been interested in the cutting and the rain cow horse. Um, I don't know what drew it to me. I guess it was more the the stylization of the horses, but the reining maneuvers and having them really ride uh, ride hard on that cow. Um, and it always drew it to me. So I took that opportunity and I went, you know what? I'm actually going to try this now. Um, so I ended up calling a few trainers, uh, Clay Webster, Cody MacArthur, uh, Les Timmons, John Swales, uh, and a few other guys up here. And I said, Hey, I need to progress myself and I need to learn about cutting horses and rain cow horses. Can you teach me? So those guys really helped me along and got me to where I am nowadays. And I still go ride with these guys even years later. I always make it a point to go ride with these guys at least once a month. Um, to see where I'm lacking, what I can do more and whatnot. But that's kind of the push point for me to get to the rain cow horse was I couldn't keep up with my rope horses anymore. I wasn't as competitive anymore because my body couldn't hold up. It's incredible how you can go from one discipline to another and here you are, you know, competing as a, as a professional in a completely foreign discipline as compared to roping. You know, it's a huge testament to your talents and your abilities and I think your willingness to push yourself. Yeah, and well, I think another big portion of it too is I, uh, I, I guess I was about twenty six, maybe at the time, um, and I had a my I was selling my good calf horse, and I uh, I kept him around for quite a while. I he's actually still with me now. My kids ride him, but um, I use him as a turnback horse. I use him to start colts. I use him to ranch. This horse does everything and anything. And my wife shows him a little bit um, in the cow horse. Um, but I ended up one day, I said, you know what? Like, he's a gelding. He doesn't have any breeding potential for me in the future. He's a lot of horse. I don't know if my kids will ever be able to ride him consistently. I'm just going to sell this horse. And I had put in a lot of time and effort in this horse. And I had made him 
broke. Like you took him to a rodeo or a rope and, and everybody looked at him and went, Oh my, he was a pretty darn good horse. And, um, a good friend of mine called me up and said, Hey, I hear you're selling this horse. I'd like, come try him out. He wrote five calves on him, I think. And then he drove it over to me. He got off, handed me the reins and he said, you know what? I can't buy this horse. He's too broke. You take him and fix too him. Broke. So, <laughs> too broke. So at that point I kind of went, you know, these, a lot of these ropers and it's not to knock ropers or anything like that. They just don't understand. Yeah. A truly broke horse. It's true. Right? I, I have a, a head horse myself and a very decorated horse and, and was told, you know, it was the next, the, the, the next greatest thing to get me to the next level. And after riding it a little bit, uh, it was a very short time frame that I realized like life has got to be better than this, right? We don't, yeah. need, we don't need to be so jacked up all the time. And, uh, they're well, just so open a left, left lead circle yeah. in the arena to warm up. <laughs> well, and, and I was told when I first started roping, right. And I'm sure you're told just like, right. Get out there, lope that horse a little bit back in the box and let's go. Yeah, that's it. Like there was nothing and about. That was so frustrating to me. Yeah. So frustrating. Yeah. Where's the horsemanship behind that? Exactly. Well, it was funny because I, I was told you always roll, you always ride this horse in a tie down. Oh, you always goodness. ride him in this bit right here, and there's this huge square port correction that broke at every single angle it could possibly break. Yeah, um, little itty bitty set of reins, you know, and and uh, for a while I did that, and I had I had zero aspirations of being a horseman. I wanted a team rope. I grew up playing baseball. I was competitive in that. I said, screw it, baseball. You know that ship has sailed. Yep. Let's start competing at roping. And it wasn't very long into it that I started to realize there's got to be something better than this. There's got to be a better way to do it, you know? And, and I think a lot of that came from my background in team sports is that, you know, when you compete in a team, you always, everybody's got to be on the same page. Right. And, yeah. and me and the horse were not that at all. And, oh. and that's when I started to get into looking into other ways of working with horses and got into this horsemanship deal. And I tell people for everything that horse was supposed to be right the next greatest thing since sliced bread, the next thing to get me to the next level. It was none of that, none whatsoever, you know, and a lot of people would be disappointed and pissed in that regard, but I feel blessed because this horse has pushed me and driven me in a, in a path of travel that I probably never would have gone if I bought a turnkey horse. Yeah. Once you start getting into horsemanship and I, I work with my horse to this day, uh, when I took him to his pre-purchase, when I took him to his pre-purchase, we could not get him to lunge to the right on a lunge line. Yep. He would That's not a lot of rope. go to That's the right. a lot of those rope yeah. horses. He is just yeah. completely foreign to him, you know? And so now I quit roping completely on this horse and we just get back to balance on everything, you know? And it's tough because he's an older horse and he's set in his ways, but, you know, developing a balanced mind, developing a balanced body, developing a, a thinking horse is a very tif difficult thing to, to do. Oh, it's, it's huge. Like absolutely huge. Well, I'm not sure if you've ever heard the saying it, for a person, it takes three weeks or 21 days for us to break our habits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now take that weeks, add years onto that. Yeah. yeah. And then, so three years or two, and then that's what you end up with for a horse to break his habits. Yeah. And it's tough. And I, it's something I struggle with quite often, right? Is it, I don't see the progress as fast as I would like to see it, but I always yeah. got to keep it in the back of my mind that this horse lived a life for 12, 13 years before 
probably 14 years before I changed my perspective. And I had only had them a short time when I did, you know. And it's tough not knowing, you know, how he was started, not knowing what the mentality was. And not, I mean, there's trauma in his background somewhere, right? This horse has had the snot whooped out of him in some regard. Oh, yeah. But not knowing the source of any of that stuff makes it difficult in trying to move forward because you you don't really know what to patch up or where to patch up. You just kind of do what he tells you, you know? Yeah, that's, yeah, you see that in a lot of them, unfortunately. But you try, and I I really like seeing seeing these ropers come to my clinics um, to learn how to properly work a cow or my horsemanship clinics to to how their horse can work and develop and whatnot. Um, Every now and then I get some of the lower numbered ropers come in who are still a little bit naive to the rope world a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, this guy's coming out here for this clinic. Let's go take take a look at this just for kind of giggles about it. Let's see how they go. And then the next thing you know, they love it and they want to keep going. Oh, it's so infectious. And I think, I mean, think about what, what these timed event horses can do. And, and like I said, this is no disrespect or knock to that profession, right? But with little yeah. horsemanship that is applied typically in those disciplines, I mean, look what the horse can do. Could you only imagine if you started with a true horsemanship foundation and really, really push these balanced horses? I mean, I think it could yeah. take the I think it could take the whole entire sport completely in all of these timed events to a whole new level. Oh, absolutely. These horses are athletes, and I mean true oh, yeah. athletes, just the same as they are as one of the cutting horses. Yeah. They're just we always we always joke around that uh, in the cow horse world that their cutter broke. Well, their rope horse broke, yeah, or their yeah. barrel horse yeah. broke. Right? Yeah. They're not. It's not the same for them. It's a different standard, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, totally. So let's touch base a little bit. Horses were not necessarily always um, the profession of choice. I know you worked in emergency services for a little bit, and you know, I did. Yep, there were challenges faced there. You know, and and the horse kind of helped repair some of that. So let's touch touch base on that a little bit, if you don't mind. You know, I think the horse is actually what kind of kept me alive, in all honesty. Um, I ended up uh, going to college. Um, I ended up getting working in emergency services uh, on an ambulance. Um, I was a paramedic for a couple of years. Um, and I found myself um, kind of digging myself into a hole because um, – when I finished high school, um, my mom told me, don't get into, horse, don't get a horse career. You know, like you should actually look at doing a quote unquote, a real job. Yeah. And I hated hearing that. It's a huge um, hurdle and a huge stigma. It is. Cause so many people, even people from like, well, my high school reunion of however, I won't say how many years now, cause it makes <laughs> me feel old, but my high school reunion, when I went there, people were looking at me, they're like, what do you do for a living? And I told them, and they're like, you can actually make a living doing that. And it's funny I don't how non, non-horse people <laughs> even know that you can't make money in it, right? Yeah, they, they don't realize that, but anyways, but uh, so yeah, I was told to get a real job. Um, so I went to college, uh, had a few rodeo scholarships, um, and I ended up uh, going and getting my paramedic license and everything like that um but in doing so i found that for myself it created a especially going to a lot of calls in 911 calls involving kids um or domestic violence um or even just a general car accident that was very traumatic i found myself i wasn't dealing with it effectively emotionally 
Um, and I was very closed off from the world. And that's always stemmed off from when I was a kid. Like I said, I was never a very social person. Um, so it created a lot of problems for me. And I started suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. I started having night terrors. Um, and then I started not sleeping at all and going through insomnia. Um, so to cope with that, I actually ended up drinking. Uh, and that obviously is not the right answer at any point in time in your life, no matter what is happening. Do not start drinking to cope with problems. Um, so I ended up drinking into a stupor uh, and being a, a bad person, essentially, because of it. Uh, and it just took my emotional level even further down. And then I ended up uh, getting really bad with it to one point where I actually had my partner and her boyfriend um, step in and intervene on me. Um, and thank God that they did, or else who knows where I might end up now, right? So kind of a rough deal with that. Um, I can remember one specific call. Um, I won't say what state I was in at the time because you don't want to, people to be listening and go, hey, that was yeah, that might so and so. I know them, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it was actually a lady, um, she was probably late fifties, early sixties. And, um, she had just gone through a surgery to remove, Oh, what was it? I think she had a very small tumor that they wanted to remove off of one lung, I think is what it was. And then they sent her home after a couple of weeks or, um, after a few, few hours because the hospitals are so backed up nowadays and with such a basic surgery where it's like just almost like a biopsy Correct. to do something yeah. like that. Um, it's just in and out. They don't even worry about a lot. Um, but we got a call from them and when I got there, she was laying on the floor and she couldn't breathe, but she was looking right at me with that look in her eye of help me, help me. I'm, I don't know what's happening. And what was happening was she ended up having a pulmonary embolism. Um, so what that is, it's where a blood clot breaks off, essentially runs through your system and gets stuck somewhere, whether it be, uh, typically it's within a main, main vessel. So like your aorta that supplies blood to your entire system and then you can't breathe and your body shuts down. So, and there's nothing you can do about it. And with a P you, you have a very small window. To actually yeah. make a difference, so it's not like something you can just sit on scene and kind of triage and figure out. No, and there, and you don't know. You like you just cannot know what to do. And when somebody's staring at you, <clears throat> please help me, God. And the family's around. It's a very stressful situation to deal with, and we handled it the best we could. But obviously, she didn't make it. Um, and when we got to the hospital. The family was very, at least they didn't blame us, I guess you could say, but they were still obviously very broken. Um, but seeing that happen right in front of me like that was one of the really bad ones for me. So I, that's, I think that's when I really started drinking heavily. Um, and it, it just wasn't working out that way. I had actually shut myself out from horses pretty well at that point. Um, because I was drinking so much. Um, so yeah, I think that was probably the, at the low point of where I was at, I guess you could say. It's incredible. And I think back as we work through our conversation, you know, 
uh, we've lived, you and I have lived somewhat of parallel lives in some aspects. I myself was kind of the lone wolf growing up as well. You know, I played team sports. I was social enough to interact with with teammates and things of that sort, but I very yeah. much stuck to myself, right? And yeah. I was always of the mindset, even since a little little kid, if I'm going to fix it, I'm going to fix it myself. I don't need nobody's help. Or if I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to figure it out myself. And uh, I too went into emergency services in my early 20s. And mm-hmm. and I I very much struggle with trauma, right? Everybody in that in that field, whether it's law enforcement or or fire services or even, you know, working in an ER, everybody's yeah. got their thing, right? The one thing that they just don't do well with. And, uh, you know, what, whether it be a type of call or a type of patient. And for me, it was just that I, I had a, I had worked at a fire department for a little while and, and there were two major freeways that ran right, right by one of the houses I was working at. So, I mean, we ran traumas all the time. I mean, I was flying out people almost every shift. Yeah, that gets hard on a guy. And it's tough, right, to see the physical trauma and eventually get to the point where it's just like, okay, it's another trauma, right? It's another evisceration or it's another person who lost a limb or, you know, we're running another traumatic code on the freeway. And I mean, yeah. run, running a trauma is stressful enough. Now doing it on the side of a major freeway. <laughs> Most people don't understand what's actually happening yeah. there. They just drive by and they're like, oh, well, the ambulance is here. I'm yeah. sure they've got it taken care of. And they don't slow down one single bit. And um, No, no. Now you're landing helicopters on freeways and and for me, in the moment, I could always perform, right? Yeah. Under the stress and the pressure, you just fall back on your training and you do what you need to do and you make your decisions. Now, your decisions carry a lot of weight, right, as to whether people live or die. But oh, yeah. it was the same thing for me, right? In the quiet moments back at the house, right, or at the quiet moments on the rig afterwards, you start to wonder, you start to second guess, you start to worry. Uh, a lot of those experiences start to eat on you a little bit. And now being a few years down the road, looking back on that, and I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but here in the emergency services profession, I mean, most kids are that, right? They're high school kids or they're just fresh out of college. You know, they go to their EMT school or their medic program, they start to intern, they start to volunteer. And I wonder- Yeah, they're 19, 20-year-old kids. Oh, yeah. I remember I was was 22 years old and- um, People's, well, I was the same yeah, way. People's lives were dependent on my decision making. And I considered myself relatively mature for a 22-year-old. But, yep. but now looking back on that, I just wonder, and this goes for military alike, right? I just wonder how is the human being mature enough to deal with all of that? I don't think we really were, honestly. To deal with the decision making and to deal with the stress and to deal with the pressure. And I mean, you're not even developed as a human being at 22 years old. No, I think we were good critical thinkers and we could think on our feet really well and get through a problem. And I think that's the basis of an, an emergency services career. Yeah. And you have to have that. But I don't think we were mature enough as people to yeah. to be able to handle that. Yeah. Right. There's very few, there are very few and far between people that can actually handle that. Um, and it does take a different kind of person, but yeah, I don't think we were emotionally available or ready to jump into that, that service in my mind. Yeah. And I, I went through a very similar phase where, uh, I, I never turned it drinking, but I definitely turned inward. Right. And, yeah. and I wasn't, I wasn't as social, uh, even with my family, right. The people that were closest to me and, and, yeah. uh, 
And for me, the horse taught me a lot of life lessons about, you know, forgiveness and grace. And, and you touched on it very, very briefly when you were describing your progression, saying that you were a bad person, right, because you were drinking. And I think that's a huge, that's a huge life lesson that a lot of people can learn, you know. And, and I'm not making excuses for your behavior in no way, shape, or form, but yeah, to describe yourself as a bad person could be a little unforgiving, you know. There's a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And you were given a skill set to deal with calls for service, but were you ever yeah. really given a skill set to deal with all the aftermath, you know? And you know what? We honestly weren't. We weren't yeah. prepared for that. And I'm not blaming the, the school system, like colleges or anything like that, or employers or anything like that, but we weren't set up for the success yeah. in the long term, yeah. right? It almost it was almost like they were trying to pump us out because, well, obviously – Anything to do with healthcare is short-staffed right now. Yes, very they much so. They just need them out there, right? Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was an eye-opening experience for me to do that. Um, I'm really happy that I did that profession, um, but it definitely did make things hard for me at that time and quite a few years down the road. Yeah. Uh, it's only been recently that I've been in. You gotta, you gotta think it's been almost 10 years since I've left that profession. Um, it's only been recently now that I have quit having my night terrors about it. I still get one every now and then, maybe three or four a year. But before it was every night of the week, I would have a night terror. Um, and thank God for sending my wife when he did to help me deal with it. Um, but even then, it was still very difficult to deal with. And that's a tough part, too. I mean, the night terror alone, right, is enough stress on your body. But now you're interrupting sleep every single night. Yeah. Right? When, you, you're think, in a, when you were doing something that yeah. you don't sleep anyways. Yeah. And that's, oh, God, that's a whole nother conversation, right? Staying up 30, yeah. 40 hours at a time and, and driving an ambulance code three around town or being responsible for patient's care. And this is, and, and you hit it on the head, right? There's no knock on the profession. It's just a reality of it, right? And these are conversations oh, yeah. that I think progress the profession. And for me, it was like flash imagery and smells, right? I would, I would see something, bam, and immediately be right back into a scene, right? And, and see a traumatic event or I yep. just, I didn't do well with smells, man. Smells really, really stuck with me. And you hear a traumatic event or a traumatic incident, bam, you're right back on the scene. And yeah. Mine was all about the noise. Yeah. If I if I heard something, like if somebody blew their horn at me or something like that, I was instantly a little bit worried about something or is something like I'm a big I'm an avid hunter. I don't trophy hunt. I hunt for food. Yeah. Um and for me it was always a gunshot or something like that would yeah. set off a lot of things, fireworks or anything like that. And it would always set set off a little bit for me. Yeah. So I'm quite happy that I've been able to work through that now. And, and that's that's what I want people to understand is that this is a process, just like we talked about this horse, right? And, and the yeah. three weeks it takes to become proficient at something or break a habit. I mean, these are things, these being the traumatic events, right? These are things that are, that are burned into our soul, our being, right? It's going to take it potentially years oh, yeah. to find out, to be aware, to develop, to progress, right? And I think us as human beings need to be a little bit more forgiving in ourselves and understand that it is just that. It is a process. It is going to take hard work. You're going to have horrible days, right? You're going to be good for months at a time and then fall on your face. Oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> but it's all patience. It's all progression. It's all persistence that will help develop it. And 
you hit the nail on the head when you talked about your support structure, right? Not only personally, but with the horses as well. You really, yep. really got to find a truly invested support structure, whether it be family, friends, coworkers, hobby, you know, uh, definitely not the liquor bottle. That's not <laughs> yeah. Let's <laughs> avoid the that best one. Form, you know, but uh, to each their own, right? And it's all relative. Yeah. So I, I guess I ended up after I ended up kind of being pushed away because at that point um, I realized when I was drinking as heavily as I did, and I had enough people tell me this isn't something you should be doing because you're just digging yourself a bigger and bigger hole. Um, I ended up leaving emergency services altogether, um, and I ended up spending a couple months just being with my rope horses at the time and uh, just enjoying them, honestly. And it was, you know, it was probably one of the the best things I did because it brought me right back to the horses. Um, I went and worked oil field after that to make some quick cash so I could get on my feet. Um, And I just, then I just stayed with the horses. And I'm so happy that I did that because I have been clean and sober for quite a while now. No kidding. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm not going to let that, change at any point in time yeah that's what yeah. A, what a great place to be you know and oh yeah and to be from from dire circumstances and and truly work on yourself and make yourself a priority yeah you know i i had a lot of help along the way in getting to where i am now um and i'm gonna credit most of that to my wife because um, she really pulled me out of a hole Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when I met her, I still wasn't doing great, but I was doing okay. Um, and she, she really kind of brought me up to made me feel like the person I am now. She gave me a lot of confidence in who I am, made me feel like I didn't have to hide from everything. Um, and just pushed me to be better about myself. So I credit her for a lot of it. I've mentioned it on the show many times previously. I truly think with every successful man is a far stronger woman, right? Oh, that provides that support yeah. and pushes us in ways that we wouldn't push ourselves or is there to pick <laughs> us up when we fall and sometimes kick us in the pants and tell us to get right back into it, you know, when we need it because it's No, just, I've needed it quite a bit. <laughs> life, life is tough. It is what it is, right? But it takes work and and finding yeah. that support structure is huge. So in in working through your progression, what are some of the uh, – life lessons that you learned or what What are some of the things that brought you success in your transformation? Um, you know, honestly, um, aside from marrying my wife uh, and having our three kids, um, I, I, I don't want lo- like to preach religion because um, everybody has their own thing that they want to believe or anything like that. Uh, but for me, I, I started reading a lot more with, um, with the good book, uh, reading just some, anything I could, um, in that fashion. Um, and it kind of opened up my eyes and made me see that, Hey, I'm, cause we were, we were always raised Christian uh, throughout our entire lives, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things where it was, I didn't really know God. I didn't have a relationship with him at that time, I, but I knew he was there. Um, but I started to realize that you know I need a need a bit of a relationship here, um, if I'm if I want to further myself as a person and be a better person about everything, because um, if I don't, I'm just gonna stay stagnant and kind of stuck in a bit of a rut, right? Um, and I found that really really helped me. Um, and then it was honestly, I spent more time in the barn 
<laughs> as crazy as that sounds away from other people, I, I spent more time in the barn. I didn't really talk to a whole lot of people. Um, I just went and rode. Uh, I kind of forgot the outside world. Um, I got rid of like things like Facebook, um, general social media, um, the uh, TV, internet kind of thing. I just rode. Like I still don't have cable TV or satellite TV or anything in our house. Yeah. We we just go out and we ride. Um, and I find that that has pushed us to be a lot more open as people as opposed to the typical zombie child sitting in front of a TV nowadays. It's true. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, just the mental, the psychological stimulation, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. how many people just sit and veg out? I got a bunch of TVs hanging in my house. Do we use yeah. them? Hardly ever. Oh, yeah. And I think it's just just being out and challenging yourself mentally and challenging yourself physically and and just looking to learn, right? I think keeping your mind busy in a healthy regard can can really turn a lot of tides because you think back on the drinking, right? What are you doing? You're probably sitting on the couch just throwing them back, right? Or you're sitting in a bar throwing them back. There's no... Yeah, watching the game or yeah, something like that. There's no stimulation, right? You're just checked out because... And I think, and this could be a whole nother conversation or a whole nother episode, I think where a lot of folks go wrong is you just lose leadership of your life. Yeah, right? you do. Yeah, totally, right? You don't yeah. you don't want to when you lose that leadership, you don't want to be better about yourself. Yeah. At all. And then you just end up in the exact same place doing the exact same thing every day. Yeah. And it's hard because the the stresses and the pressures of the professions have just fried you emotionally. So yep. you just don't want to feel emotion again. Right. No, so you don't. drinking and checking out and watching the hockey game is okay. Well, yeah. And for me, it was like, well, why do I want to know these people? They're just going to die anyways. Yeah. Right. As, as cruel oh, yeah. as that sounds, but but it's a that reality. Was the big thing. Right? Yeah, it is. Right. Like, obviously, we are all going to like kick the bucket one mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. But it, at that point, you you need to realize that you need to make the most of it at the time. Right. Yeah. Like if. If you're just going to kick the bucket down the road all day long and stay on that same same path, like you're you're never going to get somewhere. Yeah, right. You got to think about what can I do to to better myself. So for me, when I was drinking, it was how am I going to get better? I need to get riding again. That's right? incredible for you to, to have that I, foresight, right, amidst the challenge. Yeah, yeah I needed to if I because I I realized that the only place I was really truly happy was being on the back of a horse. And what do you and think it is for you? To, to, for being, why is it that that's the case? Correct, yeah. I have no idea, honestly. It's, I've been that way forever, forever. And, like, I played some team sports in high school. Like, I played football and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I liked it, but I didn't love it, right? I did it because I wanted to get out, maybe make a couple friends if I could, yeah. um, and go out and try to do something new. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't me. I I absolutely love being on the back of a horse and it's the only thing I want to do. It ain't a bad life at all, I'll tell you that. No, it's the greatest <laughs> life in the world. Are you kidding me? I get to wake up every morning yes, and absolutely. like this morning, woke up at five AM, fed a couple horses here at the show real quick and yeah, like it's it's an amazing thing to do. Amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's thing a to hard do. life, but it's a great one. 
Well, it is. It's extremely hard, both not just financially, but physically and emotionally and everything else. And, but you know what? I think it's a, I think, I think the best way to describe what I do, um, is, you know, I don't even know if I can find the word for it. Um, honorable, I guess. Yeah. Like, I just feel honored that I get to do what I do every day and that people trust me with their horses, something that they love. Yeah. And if a lot of people have raised these things from birth and now they're getting to see them as three-year-olds compete in the futurities and four-year-olds and five-year-olds in the derbies, I take a lot of honor in in that with me, right? So I'm very passionate about how that horse comes along. And For I think- me, it's not just about the money or the stardom or the fame or anything like that. I could care less if any of that was along. I I would rather just see the horse be successful. And I think right, right there, what you talked about separates the good from the great. So many people in this profession have, have made money the priority, right? And I get, right. We have to pay bills and we have to put food on table. That has to be done. I completely get it. But I, I mean, you hear the 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 stories of trainers. Well, hey, we're going to get this horse for a client because that horse is way out of their league, and they're going to have to come back for lessons every week. They know it, right? Yep. Oh yeah. Or or they turn a horse and and they sell it as something that it's not. You know. Oh and, yeah. And Seen a lot of them. It all comes full circle, and and what I tell people and what kind of puts it in perspective for me is that everything that you do with an animal good, bad, or ugly, you are going to have to answer to one day. Oh, yeah. And what are you going to – are you going to stand there with your chest out? You're going to stand there confidently saying you did right by that horse and everything that you've been given? Or did you play all these games? Were you deceitful? Were you were you cheating the horse? Were you cheating yourself? Were you cheating your clients? You know? Yeah. And yeah. and for those that – where horsemanship truly burns deep and it's almost, it's almost relative to identity, right? An individual's identity. Um that's where the success is made because I feel the same way you do. You could strip everything from me, but if if I can work with a horse, right? I'm talking professionally. If I can work with a horse and we can have our strides of success, that's fulfilling enough. Heck, you know, if I could make a, as good as as living as I do right now with riding as many horses as I do a day, and just give me one good horse and a tent and a bedroll. Yeah. I'd, probably be happy be pretty pumped about it <laughs> yeah i would be happy just go out and ride i just find a new place to sleep every night that's i'd yeah. be happy with that and the great thing is, is it's just an ever-challenging pursuit right no matter how good you get you can always be one stride better or one stride quicker or one stride cleaner and oh yeah i think for me the the passion is like trying to find how how good can a horse be how good can i be yeah Right, because oh, they exactly. have so much to give, and I, I, I've barely even scratched the surface as to the potential of of what there is to learn and what there is to experience with horses. I don't think anybody really ever breaks the surface, honestly. Yeah, I think we all just we start pecking away at the surface of the yeah. horse, and that's it. We never truly do understand them. I, can, I think the horse just goes along with us. <laughs> <laughs> They're far more tolerant and kind than we are. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> oh, that is great. That is great. So let's get into a little bit of your program, what you have developed and where you're at and where you would like to go with your training business. 
Um, so like I said earlier, I, I focus mainly to the limited aged event horses. So the futurity derby horses, um, I do do a few like bridal horses or two rain horses or even some of the open horses in the cutting. Um, but I try not to as much because I find myself, I get stagnant in a day. Um, I like to keep things ever changing. Um, I like to get on, like even right now, I've got a two-year-old um, smooth talking style out of a Pepto-Boone's mall mare that we bought from Kit and Charlie Malkreef's place. Um, one of my customers bought I bought her for one of my customers. Um, she's a super cool filly, like super cool filly. I'm really excited for these smooth talking styles. And to get on, to go from her to getting on a Betty's a cat stud out of a Playboy mare for one of my other customers Going from that two-year-old to the other two-year-old, just as an example, there's such a variation I already. Say it's a completely different horse. Huge, huge. Like I mean, literally, figuratively, yeah. Yeah, like obviously the breeding is pretty similar Like because mm-hmm. you got the cat on the top side of them. Mm-hmm. But it's still such a variation in how the horse reacts and what they can take and what they can't and what they want to do, right? Like yeah. this, the Betty's a cat stud. He's like, oh, I want to rein around and look pretty. Smooth talking style Philly. She's like, I'll lope a circle for you. Kinda. <laughs> I would I'd rather work a cow. Yeah, if I you don't want to lope a circle so much. So it's like, how can I get you to be a little bit of a prettier loper? Because she lopes pretty, like mm-hmm. really pretty moving. Mm-hmm. But she just doesn't want to be on that circle. She just gets to kind of distracted. Yeah. Right. And she's like, oh, all over, kind of like a drunken sailor. It's like, <laughs> come on, sweetheart, you can stay on over here, please, right? Yeah. Because I bet he's a cat. You point him somewhere and he's like, I'm going. He gets a one-track mind and that's where I'm going. So try and bridge the gap between the two of them so that I can bring one to where one's lacking and the other one to where the other one's lacking so that they're both really good horses. I have such a passion for that. What can I do next to make it better? What can I be better about with myself to make it better? Right. So for me, there's such a passion there when it comes to that. It's got to be incredible. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely. It's one of the greatest things in the world to achieve, honestly, um, just to find somewhere where I can be better. Yeah. So yeah. we talked very briefly at the beginning of the show, you run a pretty busy show schedule. Um, yeah. What are some of the shows or bigger shows you hit? And are you making it down to Paso this year for the Derby or? I'm not. I was going to. I've got a dual Ray mare that, uh, from the, that come from the Center Ranch down in Texas that I was going to bring down. Um, but they ended up pulling an embryo from the mare to Hickory Holly time. Um, so it put me behind by a few weeks. So I decided not to enter that one. Um, just cause I didn't think it was quite fair to her to have to hurry up and leg up again yeah. and then head on down to, to Paso. So it was, well, you know, you're five now. You don't really, you've already got some good earnings on you. We don't really need to go down to Paso just for you. There's other derbies at home. There's other classes at home we can hit with you to, so that we can get a little bit of earnings behind you so that the, the reproduction is more um, viable for the owners after in the long run. And I was going to say that's commendable on your part, right, to put that horse first because it's just, I mean, it's just that easy. You could have entered up and ran that horse down there. Well, yeah, right? and then what right. happens? Yeah, it's right? not right for the animal. No, it's not. Not even the closest amount. Nope. But we're going to hit the futurity this year down in Fort Worth. We've got one stud horse, the son of Smart Chickalina, out of a daughter of Shining Spark that I am beyond excited for. I've never been on a horse of this caliber. 
Um, so I'm going to take him down to the SRCHA pre-futurity in Fort Worth, Texas, right after I move there. And then I'm going to take him down to the NRCHA futurity at the Will Rogers in October. That's awesome. Yeah. So those will be the bigger shows that I, I would hit say, this yeah, year. It's, it's got a, going to be an exciting close to the year for you. It's uh, been a bit of a whirlwind start of the year, too. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. So in closing, I like to give guests the opportunity to kind of sell themselves, right? And people have now listened to you for an hour or so. And, and if yeah. they wanted to follow more of what you do or reach out to you, um, how can they find you via social media, websites, email, things of that sort? Well, I'm, I'm not so much a social media guy myself. I went, did go back on to Facebook um, just because of a, a business tool. Um, so I am on Facebook. I'm pretty easy to find on there. Um, currently, um, I'm on there. My business page is on there as well. My wife runs that. It's Hat Creek Performance Horses. Um, that'll be changing, though, probably July um, is we are moving from Alberta, Canada to Grandview, Texas, um, as a business decision and whatnot. And that way I can get away from the snow of all things that in the world. <laughs> I was going to say, spend a little less time thawing horses out, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the month of February this year, we pretty well didn't ride because it didn't get warmer than minus 30 degrees Celsius for the entire month. I can't, e I can't even imagine. Can't yeah, even imagine. Horrible. I live in California. Absolutely. There's no, no way I'm dealing with horrible. that. <laughs> I I didn't even want to deal with it. Uh, but yeah, so we're uh, even well. Even this morning here, when I woke up, I think it was minus three degrees Celsius, and we're right at the end of April here. Oh my goodness! Oh, yeah, most places like where you guys are at, you're probably sitting this morning probably around fifty degrees. Hey, well, I was going to say yesterday we were in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, I think yesterday we hit. Warm. Yeah, yesterday we hit a high. Of, I think it was forty-two. Oh, man. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Was, I actually was out at the uh, barn yesterday, and my horse was sweating just standing still. Oh, He's got geez. a big old full mane, so uh, <laughs> I decided, all right, buddy, it's probably that time of year we should braid you up and let you let you stay in braids and get some cool air get on that neck of yours. Yeah. On you, yeah. Instead of wearing your, wearing your beanie all year. Yeah. So, no, we're, we're going to head down to Grandview, Texas here um, about the end of July. Um, I do train horses for the public. Um and obviously in Alberta, that will be ending. I still have a few of my Canadian customers following me down with some of their show horses and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're going to be based out of Grandview, Texas, and we'll be under the name A&S Performance Horses. Um, and that's kind of us. That's where we do all our stuff. Our clinic schedules are up there. Show schedules are typically on our page as well. Um, and then a lot of the times, you know, honestly – People can just call me. My phone numbers are up on our websites and stuff, which there's a link on our Facebook page to it. And I'm, if somebody wants to talk to me or I need, or they even just need them, even after listening to this, they need me to talk them down off a cliff because they've been through something similar. Yeah. My phone is on me for the most part. I try to answer it the best I can. Like, go ahead and call me. I'm totally cool with that. That's, um, inc that's incredible that you've availed yourself as a resource to folks. And, and I think uh, you have to. You have yeah. to is a perfect like even like for yourself, right? Absolutely. Like you're you're a very social person. You yeah. talk to people in the, on your podcast all the time, and yeah. you know what? I think that we as people need to who've been through similar situations. We need to be a little bit more open to others and talk to people and help them out where they can. It's true, and a lot of it is breaking that stigma, right? Of of yeah. 
always having to be so tough. And it's it's cool to see, right? We're relatively new in the grand scheme of podcasting. Uh, yeah. But it's cool to see the network starting to develop, right? And I get messages quite regularly where, you know, a person will be in a certain part of the country, even a certain part of the world, right? Yeah. And they have an issue and I'll send them to a, a former guest, right? Or because of a guest, I start to develop these other relationships and contacts. And the show is truly starting to become its own network of of not only great horsemen, right, but just great people, people that are willing to invest, willing to share, willing to be open, because that honesty is where development really, really takes place. You know, if we all try to play the tough guy role, you know, nobody, nobody learns from that. Nobody learns nope. from that at all. There's no value nope. in it whatsoever. Oh, and I'm new to Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I was so against it because I didn't want one more social media thing. I yeah. thought, oh, what a waste of time. And sure enough, my wife talks me into getting Instagram because she says it's a business thing. You got to do it. It's true, and, right? I mean, that's yeah. how I use social media is pr- more professionally than personally, you know, and yeah. and it's it's such a valuable tool if used the right way. But with everything, it's got to be moderation. You can't be checking that thing 800 times a day. No. Um, maybe, you know maybe what? F- I like Instagram better than Facebook myself. Uh, it's easier for me to use. And I'm not much of a I tech guy, it. so it's not hard to confuse me. Oh, I am horrible with tech. Like I, I could make you look smart with tech, uh, <laughs> but I am. I look at the the Instagram, and you know what? I follow things like Smooth as a Cat, uh, Smooth Talking Style, Pep the Boons Mall on there. Like I follow all them just because yeah. I want to, and I guess they follow me back. I'm not sure what that means. Yeah, um, but <laughs> it's uh, you know I like seeing that stuff on there. Whereas you get on Facebook nowadays, and there's so much political divisiveness yeah. across the country now. It's Oh, you just want to put an end to it. It is. And right now it's foaling season. So I go on Instagram at night and it's like, oh, what do you know? The Mannions had a had a yeah. new Smooth as a Cat foal or Aaron's had a new Pepto Boons Mall or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you, like Francisco Segala had a new Segala Ray. That's oh, cool. Like I love seeing those 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 new Colts coming up. Yeah. I love seeing the pictures. I'd rather That's see that exciting. than yeah, than something like Maxine Waters is going off about this today and it's like Holy cow, guys. Like, can we just not get along and just do something together for once? I think social media puts us in a bad position because these people get on these rants and raves, right? And nobody wants Uh, to listen to them about everything. Well, then they put it up on social media. It's like, well, I don't want to listen to it there either. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, we've already discussed this before. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, Alex. Well, in closing, I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of share words, uh, words of wisdom or, or... or life lessons lived. Um, in your experience, do you have anything that you would like to share with guests in closing that that you kind of live by or has brought you success? Oh, there could be a hundred different <laughs> things. Um, you know, honestly, I think um, the biggest the the three biggest things for for me: um, be honest with yourself and your horse. Don't push yourself past your physical capabilities or your emotional capabilities where it breaks you down and don't do the same thing to your horse honestly because that's you're just gonna end up killing each other in the end it's not gonna it's not gonna you're not gonna have a passion behind it anymore um the the next biggest thing i guess to number two for me would be have an honest and open relationship with your spouse um make sure that you are always talking to them. Don't ever stop loving them. Don't ever stray from them in any way, shape or form. Stay committed to each other and love each other. Um, and 
if you have a family together, love them equally. Um, and then I guess the third thing for me, um, follow the good book. Honestly, if I'm not sure if you're a religious man yourself, yes, at sir, all, absolutely. Uh, but I think, you know what, um, I go to Bible study every Wednesday morning um, with a few good friends of mine, and I, I am hands down the youngest guy in that Bible study group by a good 20 years, um, other than a good friend of mine, Cody MacArthur. I think he's 40-something, so um, he's the next closest to me, but everybody else is over 60. Um, but you know what? Uh, it's one of the best things in the world to go do um, is read the good book, realize that we are small in the grand scheme of things. Um, we're here to serve a purpose and find that purpose. I think it's all incredible for the simple fact is, right, whenever you start an endeavor, there's a passion there somewhere, right? Whether it be a family, oh, yeah. whether it be horses. And I think as things progress, sometimes we can lose sight of that. So maintaining that priority and the focus on why you started something will yep. we'll keep that fire ignited. And I completely agree with you um, as far as my walk with God. I am very much realizing that that the Bible is very similar to a horse in a regard as it the deeper you get into it, the more you the more you get into it, the more you realize you don't know, right? There's oh, always yeah. that constant evolution of education and and understanding philosophies and theories and ideas on a deeper level. It's just it's a constant pursuit and you're right, it is gonna take a lifetime and maybe at sixty and seventy years old we can figure figure out a page or two. Yeah, well, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alex, I thank you very much for making time with uh, for us, especially in this busy show season, the, the early phases not, of it. We wish you the, not a problem. the greatest of success this year. You got a, a big year in moves, a big year in horses, a big year in shows. So we're excited to see how it, how it turns out for you. Well, awesome. I really appreciate you having me on the show. It's been awesome. All right, Alex, we'll talk to you down the road. You betcha. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one.